Well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, and I am the youth director here at Southwood. Uh, and when I was seven years old, I was given the gift, this amazing gift by my parents, in that they took me to my grandparents' house. Okay, Papa and Grandmother, those are their names. It's strange. But they took me to their house, and they left me for a week. For an entire week, I, by myself, got to stay with Papa and Grandmother. And that was amazing and such a lovely gift because, as many of us know, as soon as Mom and Dad leave the grandparents' house, all bets are off, right? Papa and Grandmother let you do anything, right? So you can stay up as late as you want, right? You're eating candy, like, for breakfast, right? You're, you're like, robbing banks, right? Because, like, you are suddenly in this world where rules don't apply. Like, there's no, there's no rules anymore, right? And Papa and Grandmother, they are enabling you to do these things, right? They're giving you the candy, right? They're driving you, oh, oh, that bank, Jacob? Okay, I'll, I'll be getaway, you know? Like, that's, that's the world that you step into, and you're like, yes, yeah, like, this is amazing. And so because of that, uh, I found myself staying up way past my bedtime. It was like, I don't know, way late. And I was watching a Disney movie in my grandparents' living room. And as I was watching it and just enjoying, soaking in the fact that it was like after 10 o'clock, uh, my grandmother came into the room and asked me, hey, you know, would you like some cantaloupe? while you watch this movie. And I personally love uh, cantaloupe, which is an orange melon type thing, in case you didn't know. Uh, and I love cantaloupe, and so I said, yeah, bring it on, grandmother, thanks. And so she brought me a bowl, some chopped up cantaloupe, and I ate it, and I was like, that was really good, kind of set to the side. And, and next thing I knew, grandmother had somehow magically swapped it out and brought me more cantaloupe. I was like, oh, well, okay, right? And so I started eating that bowl, and, and sure enough, this happened a few times until at the end of the movie, I had eaten an entire cantaloupe. Like an, a whole cantaloupe. And I was seven, remember. Seven-year-olds, their stomach, the stomach of a seven-year-old is about the size of like an acorn, right? So eating an entire cantaloupe was like a feat. And, and so as soon as I was done, I was kind of like, oh, I'm so full, right? And I, the bad guys got conquered, right? Then probably some horrible death because that's how Disney loves to do it, right? And so I've seen this and, and I'm just, I'm satisfied. This was a great night, right? And so I kind of pick myself up and prepare to go off to bed because that's what you do at midnight, right? When you're seven. And grandmother walked back into the room. She said, well, Jacob, you want to watch the movie again? I said, yes, right? So I sat back down and she puts back in. I'm like, I didn't know this was possible, right? And, and I start to watch it and she goes, well, do you want me to bring more cantaloupe? I'm like, yeah, bring the cantaloupe, grandmother, right? I'm like, come on. And so she's bringing me out bowls. I'm just eating it. I'm watching the movie until at the end of that movie, again, I had eaten another entire cantaloupe, which in case you're not counting, that was two cantaloupes, two whole cantaloupes in the span of about three hours. Okay. I ingested this cantaloupe. And at this, as soon as that was all over, right, as soon as I kind of, you know, it's like 1.30 in the morning and I'm staggering to bed, right, just cantaloupe just oozing out of my pores, right? I was so sick. Ugh, my stomach hurt so bad, right? Because it's not meant to eat that much food, let alone one super sweet food nonstop, right? It was just a blitzkrieg of cantaloupe, right? <laughs> and so in the middle of that, as I'm walking to my bed, I still remember thinking, though, in my mind, worth it, right? Oh, worth it, right? Because even though it was painful, I was like, that was so delicious because I love cantaloupe. To this day, if I go to the grocery store, buy a cantaloupe, take it home, it, is every, it takes everything within me 
to fight the urge to eat that entire cantaloupe in one sitting. Like, I just, I just will do it. And, and so it takes every fiber of my being to just hold myself back and say, no, 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 like, we'll just put the bowl back in the fridge, Jacob. You know, like, put it back. And then I eat it like 30 minutes later, right? But the point is, is that I still oh, I have this passion, this desire, this appetite for cantaloupe. Why? Why do I have that? Even though I had this horrible experience right, where I got sick and all that stuff, I still love it. Why? Because I am a human. I am a person. I am a man created by God to have appetites. We are a people driven by appetite. That's just who we are. And a lot of those appetites are good, right? God has given us many of these appetites, the appetite for hunger, right? For food, that, that's good, right? Or, or when I get thirsty or, or when I desire a relationship, right? Those are good appetites. When I'm curious, right? When I know that, when I want to see Mars, right? When I want to spend billions of dollars to send a robot to Mars so I can look at a picture, right? Like that's that's an appetite within me that is good, right? That, that is okay. That is from the Lord. But the problem, the problem in our culture today is that we take these appetites, we take them and we allow them to control our minds and control our actions. And suddenly we are filling our lives with these hungers, with these appetites, and we're giving in to these desires, And as we fill ourselves with these worldly appetites, we are pushing out the true appetite, the number one appetite that should be in our life, which is the appetite, the desire for God, to know him, to make him known. Suddenly we are pulling in all these other appetites, all these other desires. And as we do that, it's just, there's not enough space in our lives. We are spoiling our appetite for God. So as Christians, as people who are saved, as people who are in relationship with God, we need some way to fight those appetites, to control those appetites. There needs to be some sort of method or discipline that we can use, right? This whole summer, we've been walking through spiritual disciplines, uh, we've been talking about things like prayer and evangelism and worship and basically all these elements of a, of a successful Christian life. Meaning not that you do these things to be saved, but you do these things to grow your relationship with God. Just the ways to create a healthy relationship. And as we've been walking through these pieces, uh, we've seen a lot of really great applicable issues. And a lot of them are things that we probably already kind of had in the back of our minds, right? Like prayer, yeah, I mean, we know we need to pray, or, or studying the Word, like we know these things. Uh, this morning, as you've probably noticed, uh, we are hitting the very popular discipline of fasting. And what I love about this discipline is that no one really thinks about it that much, right? Like within the American evangelical church, there's not a lot of talk about fasting. It's definitely out there. I don't want to, you know, make this blanket statement. There are lots of churches uh, that do confront this issue and encourage their members to participate in fasting, but there's a lot that don't. And because of that, a lot of times when we're walking through life, we just, this doesn't even pop into our minds. Honestly, as I was preparing this sermon, I was so convicted 
Because it's been so long since I fasted. I fasted some in college, and after that, not really. And it's not that I hear fasting, I'm like, ooh, fasting. It's just I hear it, and I'm like, I didn't even think about that, right? Like, it's, it's not that I'm willfully not fasting. It's, it's that I just don't even think about it. So what I love, what I love is that as we've been walking through these disciplines, we, we had to hit this, right? We had to confront it, and it's awesome. It's awesome because as we look in Scripture, uh, the, the thing is that, and the reason that a lot of times we don't think about it is that there's not a lot of big passages about fasting. Like, this is how you fast. Like, look at these three chapters on fasting. Like, that doesn't really happen. And because of that, we kind of overlook it. But the truth is, is that as you study Scripture, as you really look in Scripture, you'll find out that a lot of times fasting isn't covered in great detail because it was just sort of assumed. The, the authors of Scripture just kind of they just assumed, they just kind of knew, took for granted that their audience would be fasting. That's why in Matthew 6, where we're going to be primarily this morning, if you want to turn there, in Matthew 6, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon, of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, and he is covering a few different issues. And you'll see in chapter 6, he talks about basically three big issues. He talks about giving to the poor and praying and fasting And what's beautiful is that he just puts these all together. Like it's just this one big thing. And he uses this term when, not if you decide to give to the poor or if you pray or if you fast. He says when you give, when you pray, when you fast. This morning, already in the past 20 minutes, we prayed, right? We had an opportunity to give. So we know, like in our modern culture, we say, yeah, these things are normal, but we're missing Fasting, for some reason, that's just kind of skipped. And so as Christ is walking us through this, and as you look, if you look in the book of Acts, you'll see constantly Paul and other apostles fasting and leading their churches in fasting. And when Paul's writing his epistles to different churches and throughout the New Testament, he talks to them about when they fast. When we read these things, when we see this, we need to ask ourselves, well, what is it? Right? Like, what is fasting? How do I fast? Where does that fit in my life? Like, what, what's the deal with this fasting idea? Uh, there's this quote, this great quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he defines fasting in a, in a wonderful way, beautiful way. He says this, Fasting is abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. Now, see, there's some key terms in there, right? He says, this is fasting. This is something where you're stepping away from something legitimate, right? This means that you can't fast from sin, right? Or, or doing something wrong, right? You can't come up to me after the service and be like, yeah, this was great. I'm, I'm totally going to fast from pinching babies and yelling at puppies, right? Like that, that doesn't work, right? That, if you stop doing those things, that's repentance, right? Like that's not... That's not fasting. Like, you shouldn't do those things, right? Unless that baby's really annoying, right? Then yeah, it's okay. But you shouldn't already be doing those things. So that's what he means by legitimate. It needs to be something that is in and of itself not wrong, okay? And you are doing it, why? For the sake of a special spiritual purpose. Meaning you can't just decide, I'm going to fast from chocolate so that I can lose three pounds, right? Like, it's not, 
dieting, right? Or it's not just fasting for the sake of, you know, you feel like bad and so you're punishing yourself or some sort of, you know, that's masochism and we're not doing that. Like that's, that's not what fasting is. It's, it's for a special spiritual purpose. And what's really key too is that fasting is abstinence from anything, anything. A lot of times when we hear fasting, maybe even as I said it, as you saw it on the slide, you probably immediately thought, yeah, fasting, not eating food, right? Uh, because that's where a lot of us jump to. We think, oh, yeah, fasting, that's where you don't eat food. And yes, that is possible, right? That is one way to fast. But the truth is, is that fasting can be anything legitimate, meaning maybe you fast from food or, or maybe you fast from a certain type of food, right? Maybe uh, you have this relationship with coffee where it's just like you understand each other and you... You need to be together, right? Like maybe, maybe when you fast, you can fast from that, right? Maybe you fast from cantaloupe, right? Huh. <laughs> if I really want to stab myself, right? And maybe that's, maybe that's what you need to fast from. Or maybe it's not even food related. Maybe you can fast from watching TV or watching a particular show. Or you can fast from, uh, you know, using the internet uh, for recreational purposes, right? Or, or, or using, uh, you know, Facebook, right? You can fast from that, right? I have multiple youth students who would cast me out as a heretic and set me on fire for saying that, right? But <laughs> you can choose things like that. Anything, anything that is legitimate in and of itself, right? There's nothing wrong with Facebook and there's nothing wrong with coffee. Those things are good in moderation, right? But that's what fasting is. It's taking something that is in and of itself, not evil, but then saying no, setting it aside, stepping away for a time for some special spiritual purpose. That's what fasting really is. And what I love is that as we kind of have this idea, the Bible doesn't leave us hanging, right? Like the, the Bible, the scripture is clear. If you, if you look around, you will see very clear principles when it comes to fasting. You'll see very clear explanations of how we fast. What I really love is in Matthew 6, uh, starting in verse 16, Christ is talking about fasting. And like I said earlier, he is actually talking about giving. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about fasting. And with each one of these, uh, he's awesome because he starts off by telling you how not to do it. Right? All these people talking about how Christ loved everyone and Christ just thought everything was great. No. Like you can look in the Sermon on the Mount. You can look at his attitude on prayer and you can immediately see, no, Christ slapped some hands and he said, no, this is not how you do this. Every single one of these issues. When he starts out with fasting in verse 16, chapter six, he says, and when you fast, again, remember when, not if, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. It says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You see, Jesus starts off by basically bringing up every, his entire audience's perception of fasting. Because when they heard fasting, they thought, oh yeah, like the Pharisees. That was the immediately where they were going to jump to. Because those were the people that fasted. The Pharisees fasted. But Christ says, no, you shouldn't fast like them. 
Because the Pharisees back then in that culture, what they would do is like he says, they would disfigure themselves. They would start their fast and then they wouldn't, they wouldn't bathe, right? They wouldn't change their clothes. They'd probably put on the, the raggedest, you know, robe they can find. They would, they would find these things and they, they would just make themselves look horrible. They just kind of walk around so that people would walk up and say, what's wrong? And be like, oh, I'm so hungry. And they'd be like, why? he would say, because I'm fasting, right? <laughs> Because they wanted people to notice. They wanted people to see and say, oh, wow, wow. Holy, holy are you, right? Like that's, that's what they wanted. And so they put on this display. They put on this show to be like, oh, look at my fasting. Everyone noticed, right? They went home. They got on Facebook and they updated their status. Oh, fasting is so hard. Frowny face, right? Like they... They were so into this and they wanted everyone to know, oh goodness, look at my life. Look how I fast. And people would look at that. And what Jesus says is they have received their reward. He says, these people, they have set out with the mission of fasting so that others would see them. Other people have seen them. Mission accomplished. There's your reward. That's as far as it takes them. That's why he says, instead, when you fast, you should be motivated by your desire to know God, to connect with him. That's why you do it in secret, right? He's not just saying like, it needs to be super secret where someone walks up to you and says, hey, are you fasting? You'd be like, shut up, go away, right? Like that's not, that's not the secret that he's talking about. It just means you are taking fasting and you are making it a discipline between you and God. And that's it. Because what Christ is trying to remind his audience of, what he's reminding us of, is that God could care less about our outward actions if they are born from a twisted motivation. That's why Paul says that what he has done counts as nothing, as rubbish, as filthy rags. It's nothing apart from Christ. Because when I put my faith in Christ, when I realize that I am nothing, that I am a sinner, that I have wronged the Lord, and I put my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, I realize that I am forgiven, that I am counted righteous because of what Christ did, and because I'm kind of awesome on the side, right? Like, that's not how it works. I'm counted righteous because of Christ alone. His life, death, and resurrection. That's what does it. It's not me. So when I fast... When I do any of these things, my motivation needs to be right. My motivation needs to be in line with Christ. And Christ's motivation was love of the Father. And that's exactly what needs to motivate me. So what Christ is saying is that, look, when you fast, man, make sure your motivation is right. Make sure you are not motivated by this desire for others to see what you have done. For others to recognize how spiritual you are. That's why Paul, Paul warns the Colossians in chapter 2. I'll start in verse 20. He says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? Then verse 23, so these things, right, these, these rules and regulations that you create for yourself, 
These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are no are of no value against fleshly indulgence. What Paul's reminding the Colossians of, he says, look, it is possible to practice these disciplines, to enact self-control, but only have the appearance of wisdom. Have it actually be a self-made religion because you are doing it out of pride. He says, you've got to be careful that when you are doing these things, when you're performing these actions, when you are displaying self-control, right, which is good. Everyone should have self-control, right? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is a sign of maturity in the Christian walk to have that self-control, that, that control to be able to say no to certain things and yes to others. But Paul says, Look, it is just as possible that in your pursuit of this self-control, you will do it out of pride. And when you do it like that, it is of no value. No value whatsoever. There's a couple different conversation topics uh, that I have with some of my friends that every time they bring it up unasked, like, I don't ask about it, but they bring it up anyway. They just, it just crushes my soul. I just, ugh. One of them is dreams, right? And the other one is diets. Uh, because dreams, right? Like someone's sitting with you at lunch, and I've, I don't know why my friends are like this, but they will say things and be like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe this dream I had last night, right? And they talk to me about, oh, I had a gladiator fight with my third grade teacher, right? And well, that, actually, that sounds pretty cool, actually. I would, <laughs> I would listen to that one. But anyway, you know, a lot of times it's not that great, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, like, I don't really want to hear this, right? And, and the other, but what's worse, okay, what's a little bit worse is diets. I, for some reason, uh, surround myself with men who like to go on weird diets. And some of them uh, will come to me and they'll just like tell me, like, we'll be eating, right? That's what always reminds them. Like, oh yeah, let me tell you all, blah, 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 right? And they tell me about this diet where they, oh, I can't, I can't eat, right? It's all about what they can eat. They're like, oh, I, I can't eat a grain, right? And I can't eat dairy, and, and I can't eat uh, fruit, right? Or uh, I can't swallow air because of bubbles, you know? Like, I, like, I've got these rules, right? And I've got to, I, I can eat chicken. You know, I basically just eat chicken, right? But it has to be happy chicken, right? Because sad chicken is bad chicken, right, Jacob? You got to remember that. Sad chicken is bad chicken. You have to eat happy chicken. Free range, right? They're like good chicken. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like, great, right? And, and you know, I'm like, well, great. I'm, I'm just going to get back to my dinner of ice cream, right? Like, I'll just... Awesome. And, and, you know, and the reason that that just kind of, like every time they bring it up, I I love them. And and is it possible, is it possible that they are bringing this up and telling me these things because they just genuinely care about me and they genuinely just want to share this piece of their life with me? Yes, that is possible. (laughs) Is it also possible that they are telling me these things and talking about this because in the midst of their discipline, in the midst of their self-control, they are kind of puffing themselves up. As Paul says in the Corinthian letters, he says these people are being puffed up by their knowledge. Is it possible that in the midst of their self-control of saying no to certain foods and yes to healthy stuff, that they are becoming prideful and thinking of themselves in a higher light and they want to make sure that that is evident? 
Yes, that is also possible, right? Because as we are Christians, as we are walking through life, we, if we have a healthy relationship with God, we're going to grow. That's how it's designed. Healthy Christian life leads to growth, spiritually, emotionally, all those things. And as we grow, what's so sad is that we are tempted to look at how far we've come and think, dang, good job, Jacob, right? We have a tendency to look at what's happened and pat ourselves on the back because we fall into this trap of pride, this trap of looking at our lives and thinking, yes, I have done these things. And Paul says when you do that, when you practice self-control, out of pride, it is of no value against fleshly indulgence. He's saying that when people are indulging themselves, right? So giving in to some, you know, unhealthy appetite and just giving in and giving in, you are indulging yourself and that is wrong. What he says is also wrong is when you're over here and you're saying, no, 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 no. No to all these different things and refusing to indulge yourself and you're, you're exhibiting self-control. But when it's pride, the same thing as what you're doing over there. It's still indulgence. You're just feeding your pride instead of your desire for a relationship or for food or whatever. Paul's saying they are no different. So when we fast, we need to be so careful that we are fasting for the right reasons, that we are fasting with the right motivations. Because remember, God cares about the heart. He tells Samuel, that he looks, that we see the outward appearance of man, but God looks at the heart. He looks at what's within. He looks at the motivation behind that action. Because that action could mean it's useless if it comes from the wrong motivation. So as we fast, we need to make sure that our motivations are correct. That what's driving us lines up with God. And as we look through scripture, we'll see lots of different examples uh, that bring up different principles of why we should fast, different uh, ways to fast. Because it's more, right? Because we want to make sure that we're not doing it for others' approval or for pride. But instead, there are correct ways to fast. One of those ways, we're going to go through four, okay? We're going to go through four and then we're done. Uh, One of those reasons to fast is to expose our sin. Because there is nothing like self-denial to bring out your selfish desire. And I have seen this firsthand, right? I have been married uh, for a few years now, and my wife, Susan, and I enjoy a very healthy marriage and relationship, and God has blessed us, and she is sweet and loving and kind and the greatest woman ever, right? That's what you look for in a wife. And so I found it, locked it down, put the ring on the finger, and here we are, right? And in this marriage, in this marriage, we seek to serve each other and care for each other, Right? If someone's sick, you bring them medicine, you rub their belly, right? But in our marriage, if one of us is hungry, all bets are off, right? <laughs> Look out, find cover. Because both of us are the exact same way in that when we become hungry, we become so irritable, right? When we have that thing, we're like, oh, you know, maybe we're at church a little bit later. We're talking to people in the foyer and it's, we're not having lunch until like 1.30. Oh man, <laughs> right? We get home trying to make lunch. If I bump into her into the kitchen, all of a sudden I find myself in a headlock and she's, I will end you, right? Like she's just, ah! <laughs> Why? Because we have that denial, right? We are, we are, we are putting away this desire. We are, we are uh, starving our appetite, And when we do that, our sin, boom, is out. 
We've all experienced that. When we try to give something up, oh my gosh, immediately we are irritable or we're angry or we're just like depressed. We're just like, uh, mopey. These things come out because it's, it's there, right? Because it's in us. It's not like, oh, it created the sin in me. No, like that's, it's there. It's just slightly below the surface. And when you fast, when you go without something, it brings it out, right? When you go without something, pay attention to how quickly do you crave it, right? What immediately goes on in your mind? Here in a minute, we're going to talk about some practical ways to fast this week. And we're, I would encourage you as you do those things to really think, okay, so what's, what's going on here? Like how quickly do you want that thing? When you maybe are used to caffeine every day, when you go off of caffeine, you have legitimate physical withdrawal. You will have headaches because of lack of caffeine. Uh, I have a two-year-old living in my house right now. Uh, and by living, I mean terrorizing my house right now because that's what they do. Uh, it's my niece, uh, and she is a, great. I love her, and she is so lovely and beautiful and kind m- most of the time. And what I discovered about her uh, is that she has this, this connection with mints, with Lifesaver mints, okay? Because uh, my wife and I have someone at our house, and so she came over, and they've been here for a couple days, and, and she uh, would eat one. She just loved it, loved the mint. And so one night when I got home, I saw her, she was you know, eating the mint, just having a great old time, bouncing on the couch, right? Trying to kick my dog for some reason. And in the middle of that, she was, you know, having a great time. Then all of a sudden I saw her get down and start running around my house looking at stuff. And she was picking up uh, like small plastic objects and like inspecting, like there was a little bag uh, that had screws in it from like a picture frame. And she was looking at it, like crinkling it around, like, you know, like trying to look at it. And what I realized was that she was searching my home for more mints because they came in small, individually wrapped plastic, crinkly plastic bags, right? And so she knew that kind of crinkle, like, look, and so she was looking at anything that was plastic, right? She was picking them up and looking and, like, tasting them and, like, sniffing and just, like, she's, like, desperate for this mint, right? Because she's gone, like, two minutes without one, so, oh, bring it, right? She's got to find that mint because as a two-year-old, right, she doesn't hold back those desires, right? She doesn't hide those appetites, And the truth is is that a lot of us, when we try to go without something, maybe we've tried fasting in the past, but when we try to do that, immediately we're like, oh my gosh, I want this so bad. And you don't run around the house sniffing things, hopefully, right? But (laughs) you have it in your mind. You are exposed. You, You suddenly realize when you go without something that you are taking the gifts of God, these legitimate things, and you're raising the gifts above the giver. You're putting the gifts of God above God himself. And that's wrong. It's bad. Right? This is exposed when we fast. So maybe that's why you're going to fast. Or maybe another reason why you can fast is to express our grief. Uh, When you look in Joel, God says to him, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. God is telling Joel, look, Tell this to Israel, bring, come back, bring them back to me, come back. They have strayed far. I want them to come back. And as a sign of that return, as a sign of that mourning, fast, cry. If you look in the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh, where they are just evil, evil people. And he goes up to them and he tells them, God's going to destroy you. See ya, right? That's, that's what he does. And as soon as he says that, it starts to spread through the city. 
And it goes from person to person, eventually reaches the king. And the king hears it and he realizes he's right. He realizes, oh my goodness, we are wrong. We are evil. And so he commands the city, we have done wrong against God. What do we need to do? We need to fast. We need to pray. He says, everyone, as a sign of your fasting, put on sackcloth, meaning this scratchy uh, fabric that they would use for bags like burlap. He says, put that on, wear sackcloth as a sign of your fasting. And what I love about the book and the passage is that the king doesn't just say, put it on. He says, every man and every animal, right? Make those weird little dog sweaters out of sackcloth and put them on. He says, because everyone, everyone needs to weep and mourn and grieve. We need to return to this God because where we are is wrong. We have strayed far from the path. And part of that return, fast. So maybe we fast to expose our sin. Maybe we fast to show our mourning, our grief before God. Or maybe what we find in scripture is we can fast to overcome our enslavement. Because as I mentioned earlier, we are in a culture that is just thrives on self-indulgence. I want what I want, when I want it, from who I want it. And if that doesn't happen, then there's something wrong with you or something wrong with the system because this should happen. I should get this right now. And when that doesn't happen, I'm, I'm mad. I'm upset. That's why there is a growing trend in colleges. There are studies written on this. Uh, my parents are professors. My older sister was a professor. They can attest firsthand knowledge to there is an increased involvement of parents in colleges now. In that their student... Their student will get a grade that is lower than they thought they would get. Or, or they have an assignment that they think is too hard. And so their student, their 22-year-old senior at Texas A&M will call up mom and be like, I can't believe this is happening. And then mom calls the professor. The mom emails my sister and tells her, what's up, right? That's... That's what's happening in our world because we are slaves to self-indulgence because when we see something that we don't like, we got to fix it. And that is wrong. And I don't like that. That's how the world has always been. A lot of times we look at this and we're like, oh, today's society, generation Y, right? They're the worst college kids, right? Like that's, that's something that people like to say. But the truth is that this is how it's always been. In Paul's day, when he was writing to the Philippians, he told them, he told them that, look, there are people around you and they are so self-indulgent. They are so driven by appetite that their God, who they worship, the ultimate focus point in their life is their belly. He says their appetite drives them as a God. This is just how the world works works. And so as Christians, we are called to a higher standard. As Christians, we should rise above this. We should be different, right? We are a holy people. We are set apart and our lives should be set apart. That's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them, all things are lawful for me. He's talking about legitimate things, right? He's not talking about sin. He's talking about all legitimate things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable, 
He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Meaning, as I walk through life, there will be legitimate hungers. There will be legitimate appetites. There will be legitimate desires that I choose to say no. I choose to decline, to reject them. Maybe as a whole lifestyle, or maybe just for a time. In fasting, I will look at something and I'll say, no, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that because I will not be mastered by anything. I do not want these appetites, these desires to overtake me. I don't want my God to be my belly. That's just sad. So Paul is warning us, make sure, make sure that as you are fasting, that sometimes, sometimes when we fast, it should be to exhibit self-control to practice because we are in the midst of spiritual warfare and that every decision we make is either under the legacy of Adam or it is under the legacy of Christ. And so we need to practice and train ourselves to say yes to Christ and no to sin, no to that Adam, no to that sinful nature that resides within. But more than that, even, even if you're not fasting to expose or express or overcome, maybe you can fast to receive God's guidance. Because the truth is, is that we need a clear mind to do anything, right? Uh, John Piper uh, sums it up in a quote when he says this. He says, hunger for God is spiritual, not physical. He says, and we are less sensitive to spiritual appetites when we are in bondage to physical ones, right? The same thing Paul just talked about, about being mastered. He said, this means that fasting is a way of awakening us to latent spiritual appetites by pushing the domination of physical forces from the center of our lives. He's saying fasting can clear our thoughts and make us ready to hear the direction of God. Right? And we do this all the time. We do this in other areas of life. Uh, as I was working on this sermon yesterday, putting some touches on it, uh, like I said, two-year-old, in my home. And as I'm working, uh, my bedroom door just bursts open and I see a small, cute two-year-old holding a purse and money. I'm like, oh man, something's about to go down, right? She runs over to me. She comes up and she hands me $20. I say, thank you, Catherine. She goes, "Uh uh-oh. I say, okay. And then she takes that purse and she dumps it out. And she just, she watches me while she does. She's like, ugh. Like just... Look at me, right? watch me do it. You can't stop this, right? I'm a whirlwind. And so she dumps out just cards and pins and like change. And she takes these things, kind of spreads them around, picks some of them up, just throws them around. She crawls underneath my bed and starts chasing my dog all around the house. And she's doing these things right in the middle of, of I'm, you know, I'm working on my sermon. So I'm like thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, my mind is just overwhelmed. And I, I don't even know what fasting is anymore. Right? Like what's going on? Like I, it was just this crazy moment. And so what I had to do is I had to usher her out of the room, right? I had to close the door. I had to get some headphones and I needed to clear my thoughts so that I could be more, so I could listen to God, right? So I could listen and concentrate on the mission at hand. When we're preparing that, you know, that presentation for the meeting or writing that paper, we have to shut out distractions because that's the way we operate. The same way, what fasting can do is it can push away the distractions. It can push away these physical appetites in favor of that spiritual one. And what's beautiful is that when we do this, God meets us. God has promised us in Proverbs. He says, 
for the, the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright, meaning that God has saved this level of intimacy for those who are practicing his disciplines, for those who are in his will, for the obedient. He has not saved salvation for them, but he has saved just a, a little bit higher level of intimacy, of knowledge of him. So when we fast, we are participating with him and we are able to enter into this intimacy. And it's beautiful. So this week, my prayer and my hope for our body myself included, is that we would try fasting. That this would be the week. Maybe this is the day that we look at fasting and we're not intimidated by it, but instead we say, yeah, I can can do that. And as we try to fast this week, I would encourage you to keep three things in mind. Three things as we fast. Check your motives. Right? Make sure that as you are preparing to fast, that not only are you, you know, shutting out the bad motives of, you know, doing it for the, for others, uh, seeing you or, or doing it for your own pride, right? You want to make sure that that is gone. You also want to line out what is my good motivation, right? Am I trying to expose sin in my life or am I looking for God's guidance or am I grieving, right? You want to have that in your mind because it, having that mission, having that point that you're striving for helps, right? It, it gives you a, a point, a focus in your fast because I promise when you start fasting from whatever it is, right? Remember, it, it can be something food or not food, but as you start that fast, the distractions will come up and you need that focus point, right? And as you fast, you want to start small, right? You don't just think one day, oh, I think I'm going to take up jogging. Oh, I'll go run a marathon tomorrow. That makes sense, right? Like that's not, that's not how it works. And so as you are thinking of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this idea of fasting into my life. It's going to fit in. Start small. So maybe you pick a particular food, right? Maybe you don't go with like all food. You pick a particular food for a week, right? Or maybe you do abstain from all food, but you just do it for a meal, right? Or a day, right? Don't start. There are books out there that are talking about 40-day fast and 60-day fast and 90-day fast, and those are great. And if you can get to that level, props, but don't start there. Oh my goodness. Start small. Set these achievable goals, Right, so as you are doing these things, as you have your motives correct, and as you have your plan lined out, right, maybe you're not going to have lunch today. Maybe you won't have dinner tonight. Or maybe you're not going to get on Facebook for the rest of the week. As you're doing these things, that's good, right? And you can have the best motivation, the best plan, but honestly, they are useless unless you listen. Unless you use that time well. You've got to take that Fasting, take that time, take that saying no to your appetites and use it to listen, not only to yourself and notice, wow, all this chatter that's popping up is bad, right? Maybe, you, maybe you'll pick up on some things you need to work on. But more than that, listen for the voice of God because Proverbs promises us that he's intimate with those who obey him, with those who walk in this way. Listen for that intimacy, listen for that voice because it's there. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you have given us the gift of fasting and the gift of prayer and the gift of worship. God, I thank you that you have given us these methods that we can practice and put in our lives 
so that we would know you more. God, we thank you that we are not bound by the law, that we do not have to do anything to receive salvation or grace. God, we thank you that it is only by faith. But Lord, we are also still grateful that you have set that law in place, that you have set those guidelines and those principles. Because God, as we enter into a relationship with you, God, we want that relationship to grow and flourish. So thank you for showing us how to make that happen. God, thank you that you are faithful to empower our prayer or our worship or our fasting, that God, you that you are the one at work within these things. God, thank you. That even in the midst of our foolishness, you have chosen to save us and to grow us. We pray this all in your precious son's name. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys next week.